Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Graham Mabry at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. I want you to imagine you're at a party. And uh, at this party, with a bunch of friends, one of your friends has just come back from Bali. And they bounce up to you full of excitement and joy and they say, you'll never guess what. I was on the beach and this guy came up to me and I was able to haggle him down to next to nothing. And I got a genuine Rolex watch. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Everyone is thinking, do we tell him (laughs) or do we just let him stay in his joy? Of course, authenticity that's our topic today in our in our series on a significant series on friendship with God authenticity is rare and endangered in our society our society has much that's as fake as a Rolex from Bali you see the words up there that Becker's put together for me in that great mural and it's in our language we since the election of the last president we have fake news We have as phony as a politician's promise, poor old Polly's cop it again, Uh, as phony as a $3 bill, as phony as a snake oil salesman in a three-piece polyester suit. Uh, Read the fine print, don't sign anything. See how it just goes right through our whole culture, don't trust. In fact, because of the work of consumer action groups, we now, on our television ads, have that little saying, T's and C's apply. They didn't used to tell you about them once. And the big word you have up there, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. It's the whole basis of consumer law. Watch out. It goes back a long way. That saying, too good to be true, goes back at least to the 1500s. But Jesus said it goes back way, way further than that. Jesus said this lack of authenticity goes back to Eden. He said this, Satan is a liar. Uh, Sorry, I'll say that again. When Satan lies, he speaks his native language because he's a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus was explicit about why he lies. He said the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I don't know about you, but as we journey through this series, as Nick spoke to us about intimacy, and I had the privilege of doing that in the evening service and studied the Psalm 139, heard about the intimacy of God who knitted me together like a loving nana knitting for a baby that's coming, love going into every stitch. I want to I reach out to him, but when it comes to abandoning myself to him, might, what might happen? Dan tells us and Jonathan last week about the tree planted by the rivers and I want my roots to go down into the water but I find they keep going back to the wasteland. Why is that? My sincere reaction is I will be a friend of God. But when we started the series Simon reminded us how sincerely the disciples in the upper room, we've just had communion, they said I will never leave you Jesus and he knew they wouldn't make it to dawn. It's incredibly significant, though, that Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. You see, this series plunges us into the heart of a reality, that our struggle is against the spiritual forces of evil. Message puts it this way. It's a life or death fight to the finish, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. And willpower won't do it. 
doesn't, doesn't matter how sincere my will is, it simply won't produce friendship with God. If I make this my battle, I must lose. Nobody ever struggled harder. Nobody was ever more driven or sincere because of what he'd been taught to try and win this battle on his own than Martin Luther. And then one day studying the book of Romans, as most of you in the room would know, he suddenly realized the righteousness that made him God's friend was not his. It belonged to, quite correctly and totally to Jesus. But God gives that righteousness freely to people who have no righteousness of their own. And he said, he wrote this, When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Spirit. The doors of paradise swung open and I went through. I had the privilege, and Paul Blakemore, who's here this morning, was with me. We were at the first conference ever in our history of Baptist churches. Uh, after 400 years, they met to just talk about worship. And we were in Schoenenberg Baptist Church, and a young German pastor stood up and said, not far from this point, we, a, young, a, young, a young priest nailed his theses to the wall of a church in, well, we, we, maybe he didn't, but he published his theses in Wittenberg. And we are going to begin this conference singing his hymn, Ein Festeborg, A Mighty Fortress. You sing it in your language. It was an amazing experience to do so. And we sang his words. Did we, remember what happened to Luther, did we in our own strength confined, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who he may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. If I make the battle mine, I must lose. In this series on friendship with God, if we go to him, he must win. He has won. Jesus is Lord. Satan is defeated. He has total victory. The, the Roman generals used to march their conquered people behind them in shame as they entered Rome in triumph. And Paul writes, he has made a public spectacle of the enemy, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession he stripped them of all all the tyrants of the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets friendship with God means surrender not striving it means obedience not sacrifice see Jesus continued Simon Satan has asked to sift all of you but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail I have prayed for you and when you come back to me when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. Do you know Jesus says, I've prayed for you. He says it exactly the same. In Romans 8 we read, Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Interceding for us. And the comforter, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through sighs and groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit right now is praying for you at such a depth that you could not utter it. Paul says, Paul prays for the Ephesians, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. In this series on friendship, don't strive, surrender. 
The power is the power of God, the Holy Spirit. A power we don't have, but he will freely give. Let me pray for you. Father, we do just want to realise that this is not a series about trying harder to be your friend. But it's a series about allowing you to give us what we cannot create ourselves. We owe a debt we cannot pay, but you paid it for us. As we meet in the rest of this meeting, Holy Spirit, be free to do your will. And may we find our roots do go into the, into the water and not the wasteland. Holy Spirit, direct our hearts. Give us that trust in you to abandon ourselves to you. May we leave more friends of God than we arrived because of your power and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Peter, Jesus said to the, to the disciples, when you have turned back to me, by the way, he didn't say if you turn back. He said, Peter, when you turn back, because I'm going to win this battle, when you turn back to me, strengthen your brothers. And today's reading deals with how he uses us to strengthen one another. Carol Wood's going to bring us, bring it. yeah, g'day Carol, thank you. James five thirteen to 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Jesus transforming lives through his bride, the church. Great precious promises will make the sick person well, that you may be healed. Healing's in the scripture. In Mark 6.13, the disciples anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. In the 200s, Irenaeus says the church was still doing this. And Tertullian, the, the, uh, the historian, says an emperor, Severus Alexander, was anointed and prayed for by a Christian called Torpasian. He was healed and he kept Torpasian as his guest in his palace until his death. About 150 years after that, in the canons of Hippolytus, the, the church was still praying for the gift of healing when they consecrated bishops and they were ordaining any that they saw had the gift of healing once they had checked that it was genuine and was from God. I have experienced healing personally, in my family, in my ministry, uh, and, and I am so thankful for that. There's no time to go into detail, but I'll just say I am so grateful. But since our topic is authenticity, let me say it's enigmatic. It's, it's, I, have, I have prayed fervently for healing in a certain case for myself. <laughs> Nothing. I used to get cr- shocking hay fever. But I got used to it. And I had puffers and things that I could use. And, and I, never, I, I never prayed for healing for that at all. I wasn't in a particularly good spot at a, at a certain time in my journey. I wasn't in spectacular sin, but you know how you have better times and worse times? This was the worst time. And I was starting to think, yeah, blow this for a game of soldiers. Who wants to... I was in that mood. And, and I, I was taking back some expired puffers. And as I leaned over to pick them off the passenger seat, this little inner voice said, you'll never need another one. I have never had hay fever from that moment. I can walk through fields. I didn't ask to be healed. 
Uh, I was playing the piano at a conference once and the speaker said, I'm almost embarrassed, but I think God wants me to pray for people who bite their nails. It's just a horrible... And they don't want to anymore. And I was playing. I bit my nails terribly. And I thought, wow, I'm not standing up. Glad I'm playing piano. (laughs) And a friend of mine stood up. I never bit my nails from that... I've never bitten my nails since, and he didn't get healed. He kept biting him up to the elbow. <laughs> We've got, um, um, it's, it, the topic is authenticity. So I have to tell you how I've experienced it. I've also experienced anointing people with oil and praying for them as part of a team here many, many times when there was no healing. Some sitting in this room have called for the elders, trusted this promise. But the Lord took your loved one home and I've sensed the pain, felt somehow you, you feel like you've let these beautiful people down. Maybe if they had someone else, it might have worked. When Peter was in prison, the church prayed and he was miraculously set free by an angel. I'm sure when John the Baptist was in prison, his disciples prayed. So how did they process that God allowed a depraved dance to inflame a drunken king who had his head chopped off just so he didn't lose face. How'd they process that? And then I thought about Nick's very good point last week. You remember Nick talked to us about the verses you don't underline in your Bible? Well, I thought of some of those. Paul says, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Not, no judgment, no word, no, he didn't have enough faith. He had nothing, just, I just left him there sick. Timothy, stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Not Timothy, get your life in gear and get healed. No, mate, you know what your gut's like. Use your head, have wine, the water's off. And then Epaphroditus was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow on sorrow. When Catherine Marshall was seriously ill, she studied healing. And she went looking through all the miracles that Jesus did to find a pattern in them. Guess what she found? No pattern. The significant thing is she went looking for a pattern because that's what our culture predisposes us to do. Our culture predisposes us to look for a process, for a pattern. We talk about people as human resources. So faith is often seen as something that you have. It's like, almost like an ingredient. Do you have faith? You know, spray it on and get that engine started. It's, it's, and that, it's almost like a noun. And if you take that, that approach, what's the process? What's, how, do you, how does it work? What's missing? Relationship. There's no relationship in process. Friendship. When Paul was faced with a thorn in the flesh, he didn't go to a process, he went to a person. Three times he went to the Lord and he said, please, I'm pleading with you, God, take this away. And when God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul responds, well, then I embrace weakness so that your power may completely enfold me, is what the Greek means. He's saying, if it brings me closer to you, I welcome it. If not, get rid of it. But it's all about Paul's relationship. That's why that picture's there. It's about the one who is holding Paul's hand as he journeys. 
When David prays in Psalm 143, he says, Let morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. For the Hebrews, knowledge and wisdom and all of these things were a way that you should go, a way that you walked. And faith was an attitude of your heart that you lived. So when Jesus is in the boat asleep and the storm comes bad enough to scare sailors and fishermen and they wake him up, Jesus says, but I'm here. Can't you guys faith with me? Just do a bit of faithing. If I'm here, it's okay. It's all right. Our book of the month this month is The Practice of the Presence of God. It's one of my personal favourites. Written by brother, well, you see, it's, it's by Brother Lawrence, 1614 to 1691, he lived, but it's the book he never wrote. He would be stunned that we are having this as our book of the month, and I recommend you get it. it it's a book that only exists because such was the wisdom and grace of this man that a cardinal found out about him and sent his envoy to interview him, and Lawrence gave him four interviews. And that, plus a few notes, maxims found in his cell after he died, is, is what the book is. But he never intended to write a book. In fact, this humble man who called himself a great awkward fellow who broke everything, lived tucked away in a kitchen as a kitchen aide, not a cook, a kitchen aide, and eventually a cobbler in a monastery in Paris in times as tumultuous as ours. He found the required spiritual disciplines of that life distracting, couldn't focus, he found theological discussion boring, joined the club, but he decided to do everything, his common business, he called it, purely for the love of God. And he says this, I turn a cake that's frying on the pan for the love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to do, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me the grace to work. And afterwards I rise happier than a king. God regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is done. And he, this authentic friend of God said this, God doesn't ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time. In times of troubles, take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your hearts to him during your meals and when you're with friends. The least little remembrance will always be most pleasing to God. One need not cry out very loudly. He's nearer to us than we think. And James is saying exactly the same thing to the people in the church. The English translation doesn't really capture how James is doing this. James is, a, is, a, is a, an interrogative sort of guy. And the, he, this is really written with an interrogative followed by an imperative. So he says, in trouble, pray. Happy, sing praise. Sick, call the elders. In trouble, pray. It's, the, it's, it's being used in the sense of Nehemiah. If you read the book of Nehemiah when he had to build Jerusalem and all these things started going wrong, every time something went wrong, Nehemiah would say, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Prayer was his first response, not his last resort. I remember Jonathan talking to us about the fact that we go to Google before we go to God. Prayer was Nehemiah's first response. Oh, I pray to the God of heaven. In trouble... In, if you're happy, that covers the whole gamut of human experience, doesn't it? Affliction prompts prayer, elation prompts praise. John Kelvin said, there's no time when God doesn't invite us to himself. Prayer is the breath of friendship. 
in trouble? Jesus talked about the thief when he said he was the good shepherd. Do you know when sheep are lost and we're his sheep, they don't run around. I'm chatting to a shepherd once in countries where they have shepherds. They don't run around looking for the flock. If a sheep's lost and in trouble, it just hunkers down and then starts crying out for the shepherd to come. God, Jesus, the good shepherd, comes when you cry. Oh, Hellesby's the great prayer teacher said, helplessness is your best prayer. Happy, sing praise. It's one of the most common commands in scripture. God knitted this into us when he knitted us together in our mother's wombs. We use music all the time, don't we? When we're in love, we sing. Merle and I have got a song. If I'm in trouble, I play it on the piano. I'm in a lot less trouble by the time I finish it. (laughs) When our team wins, we sing. We didn't do anything, but we sing anyway because we're happy. The team won. God put that into us. And like when we sing to him, we sing as you did this morning in response to the lavishness of his love. But you know, like every aspect of friendship with God, it does, the song doesn't come from us. The scripture actually says to us, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs or songs from the spirit, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, speaking to one another. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. One of the great, who's ever heard a sermon on how we use song to teach one another in the Lord? And to, I never, never hear this preached on. Not even by me. Possibly because I'm not sure how it works. But I do know this, one little aspect of it, when I see you worship, sometimes I stop singing just to hear God's people singing. And it builds me. It builds my spirit. It strengthens me. You remember Dan's story of the lady who as she came to the end of her journey, her joy was unshakable. I remember someone in our church who was involved in a vital ministry. I don't have the family's permission, didn't didn't have time to get it, so I won't name the person. But they were in a vital ministry and I pleaded with God to heal them and they were convinced they were going to be healed and they weren't. And I was struggling. We needed this person. We needed this ministry. What are you doing, Father? And if not many weeks later, maybe two or three at the most, we were singing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And I happened to be at the front for some reason. And I looked up and there was his widow with her hands and her face, tears but radiant, singing. And it healed me. I thought, well, Lord, if she can trust you in this and find you faithful. Call the elders. Oh, by the way, one, just one thing I'm prompted to say to you. You don't begin to know God until you're disappointed with him because until then you think you're God it's only when he doesn't do what you think he should that we start to know him well maybe not start but we go to another level whenever the whenever the spirits at work in the church it makes music and it's transparent so when the Wesleyan revival just take that one example when the Wesleyan revival broke out All those wonderful hymns by the Wesleys and others came into being. And Wesley took the Moravian practice and in Methodism, he got the people to meet together two or three times a week to confess their sins to one another and to pray for one another because it's biblical. 
in our church, MP3, small groups meeting together are kind of our expression of that. Now, as Nick mentioned a couple of weeks ago, please don't come to me and confess horrible thoughts about me that I have no idea you had. It, it can be done stupidly, but it is incredibly powerful when it's done biblically and it's healing. And by the way, both promises in this passage promise healing and I, if I am ever praying for you, I am praying for healing. I had the chance to see Steve in hospital yesterday and I pray for healing and believe for healing and I'll trust God for healing until he chooses otherwise. In fact, I love John Piper's view. He says this, it's good to desire and earnestly, sorry, it's good to earnestly desire gifts of healing, not as something to boast in, but something to love with. And faith works by love. And I pray those gifts will be liberated increasingly in our fellowship. But when I come to what I can't understand, we come to the point where we say, you are God, I am not, and I will trust. And I am glad. If I were God, we'd be in terrible trouble. I don't understand it, God. I was once asked to sit as patron of Compassionate Friends, a self-help group for people who've lost children and young siblings. This lady had only one son and not through drugs or drink, just been overdoing it. He fell asleep and was killed in a car smash. There's nothing to say at a time like that except I love you and I'm, and I'm here. But after a long silence, she looked at me and said, Graham, if there were no heaven, if there were no hope, I would still have all this pain. But that's all I'd have. We're going to give you an opportunity in a moment to call the elders. Well, the elders will come forward. <laughs> But you'll have a chance to respond as we sing a couple of final songs. And when you call, you demonstrate humility. If you respond in that way, you're demonstrating humility, faith, submission and unity. In in effect, you're saying, Lord Jesus, I recognise that elders in the church, however the church organises that, they're effectively appointed by you and their authority comes from you. And I submit to that. But in praying for you in the name of the Lord, the elders are submitting too, because in the name of the Lord is not a magic formula you spray on to guarantee success. I want this and this and that and that and that. That's all my selfish list. Uh, In the name of Jesus, boom, I've got it. Of course not. In the name of Jesus means I submit to you, Holy Spirit, do what Jesus would do if he were here now. Do what Jesus would do. So when they pray for you and anoint you, they are submitting. Had a lovely moment last Sunday night, and I have his permission. When the time came for prayer, Simon Ford came forward for prayer. Because you see, the ground around the cross is dead level. The ground around the cross is dead level. And when we stand together in our mutual need of forgiveness and grace, we'll confess rather than judge. We'll forgive rather than place guilt on one another. We'll intercede rather than criticise. We'll be ambassadors of reconciliation. The church will praise joyfully, confess openly, pray lovingly and together experience spiritual cleansing and physical healing. That's what this passage in James says. I wonder if the music team would come back And I wonder if you would pray with me. In a moment, I'll ask our elders to come forward. And in trust and in faith, 
you'll have the opportunity to come and they would, lo they would love to anoint you with oil and pray for you in the name of the Lord. But I want to read some words of Brother Lawrence as we, uh, uh, just, just to conclude and before you start to come. And I wonder, could we just, could you play for us? I regard myself, says Brother Lawrence, as the most wretched of men, stinking and covered with sores, and one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him and ask his pardon, and I abandon myself entirely to him to do with me as he wishes. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, lovingly embraces me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasure and treats me as his favourite. He talks with me and he's delighted with me in a thousand and one ways. He forgives me and relieves me of my principal bad habits without talking about them. I beg him to make me according to his heart. And always, the more weak and despicable I see myself, the more beloved I am of him. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.